Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome, everybody, to Sharp Lessons, Stadium Sports Betting Podcast. Ben Wittenstein and next to me, the professor, Nate Jacobson. And uh, Nate, after a weekend of college football conference final, how how'd everything go for you? Yeah, it was solid. Uh, happy with the Kansas State result on Saturday. 18-1 won the conference. Didn't hedge. Yeah, made it very look clear. at you. Kansas State actually close favorite in the game, which I think kind of shows what people think about TCU, and we'll get to their game in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, that's in about four weeks later in the show. But overall good, and the NFL was uh, was decent. Just kind of a, a break-even week and uh, five weeks left in the regular season. Looking forward to uh, some bigger NFL games down the line as we get into the playoffs. Yeah, we're going to have to start focusing on more NFL games with the bowl games coming up. We'll, we'll still have bowl picks, of course, uh, coming up with, with the show in the next couple weeks. And we're finally going to get some Saturday NFL games. That'll yeah. be exciting. Yeah. This, you know... The more content, the better, I guess, for the TV network. <laughs> Always right? be contenting for us <laughs> and for the TV network. Uh, so we do have some games at least to like kind of look ahead to for the college football playoff because we do have the lines for TCU Michigan, Ohio State Georgia, um, and we could look at that TCU Michigan game first. Michigan's favored by eight points, totals at 59, and that line's dropped a little bit. Michigan was at nine and a half, dropped to minus eight. The total was at 60, dropped to 59. So TCU is getting a little bit of the early money. Um, but Michigan's still holding on to more than a touchdown favorite. Or, or do you have a lean or a favorite in this game? Because it, it's again, it's hard for me to bet against TCU from what I've seen from them all season long. But Michigan has just looked so dominant. Yeah, I don't really have much on this game. I guess I agree with the early line move. I was wondering if it was going to go from nine and a half up to ten, or if it was going to drop down. I think that would have been a good indication to see where the the smart money was early. I'm not yeah. surprised that it went down as opposed to going to 10. Uh, so I don't really have much on this game. As I mentioned, TC loses that Big 12 title game to Kansas State. So I wonder how much kind of the perception of TCU changes there. I'm not really sure if it does because I think a lot of people respect Kansas State. Yeah. I was just trying to kind of think about the game and how TCU, they've had a one big underdog role this season, and it was in Austin. Saturday night, they go into Austin, don't let Texas and Quinn Ewers and Steve Sarkeesian score an offensive touchdown, win the game outright, which was obviously a huge game because that's helped them get to 12-0, and which is the only reason they're in the playoffs. So they played well in the big underdog role this game, so I could see this game actually being pretty close, but also worried yeah. that Max Duggan got hit a lot and he the did. Michigan defensive line is good, is good, if not better, than Kansas State's defensive line. So kind of I think that's probably the key matchup to to look at and see if TCU can do a better job protecting their quarterback, who luckily will have a month to recover after the uh, the knocks that he took on Saturday. Yeah, and Michigan's going to be without running by uh, Blake Corum, which yeah. is going to be tough for them offensively. But the game that I go back looking to for TCU is that Iowa State game. And I bet the under in that game, as we talked about. It was 47.5, and I talked about how good that Iowa State defense is, and we know how good Michigan's defense is. 
TCU scored 62 points on that Iowa State team. Now, granted, there was a couple special team scores. There was a couple issues um, with fumbles and a couple issues with turnovers. But still, 62 points on a really good Iowa State defense. That was the most points they'd given up all season by a long margin. I don't know if if they're going to have as tough of a time against this Michigan defense as people expect, especially with that month off and they get Max Duggan healthy. I, I think TCU might Give them a game, and that that eight, that plus eight, getting eight points in a game like this that might be close, I might take that. I think it's definitely, you know, definitely possible. There's also just questions about Michigan, how offensively for eleven games they were pretty, I don't know, fine, but nothing really flashy. Yeah, and then they right. hit all those explosive plays against Ohio State middle of the second quarter. Yeah, and it's like, where was this all season for Michigan? Right. But then they have that same success against Purdue. Who obviously not as you know talented as that Ohio State defense, but they had success. Michigan did and got the late cover there, so it, it's hard to kind of know what what Michigan's offense is. And I guess with a lot of time to prepare, they should be pretty good in this game. So Donovan Edwards has been impressive. Yeah, I mean, he's been really impressive. And, and I know he was had Coral. an injury. I know he, I think he was like a, a cast on his hand during the Ohio State game. So right. you know more time for him to recover. So. I know the quorum loss is bad in general for Michigan, but Edwards is a, a certainly has shown well um, in some limited appearances that he's had. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about this game as the weeks go on, of course, Definitely. and the line changes a little bit here and there. That total's already moved down one point, so don't worry. We'll be talking about both semifinal games as the weeks go on, but we just wanted to get a little, you know, little preview of this game, kind of what we're thinking early on, because Ohio State's playing Georgia. Minus 6.5 for the Bulldogs in this game. Opened at six and a half. That totals moved down one point as well from sixty one and a half to sixty and a half. Tell me why I should not put a lot of money on Georgia minus six and a half in this one. Because I already bet Ohio State plus seven. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, not not a lot. Are I'm, you going to bet them now at uh, plus six and a half? No, you too? I All think right. seven is needed in this game. The way I look at it, I think. Ohio State, just the perception is as low as it's going to be all season. Yep. So I think there's a buy low opportunity on a team that looked dead and had no shot at making the playoff, and now they're in it. They still have a lot of talent. I know that Jackson Smith and Jigba is already ruled out for this game, but he hasn't played all year. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is an elite wide receiver who I think could challenge Georgia on the outside. So I think Ohio State and, and Georgia, like they've kind of been even teams all year, at least in a lot of power ratings. Mm-hmm. Georgia's kind of improved, and maybe Ohio State's taken a step back a little bit. But to get to plus seven, I think, is a little bit of a stretch, although the game is in Atlanta, a stadium where Georgia has already yeah. played two games this year. So I guess there's a home field advantage, but Ohio State fans always travel well, and they're going to want to get out of Ohio in December and spend their New Year's in Atlanta. So I, I don't yeah. think it's going to be too crazy of a home crowd. So I just think this line should be closer to maybe like between three and seven. So maybe like four and a half or something. So uh, Ohio State plus seven made a small bet on, and I want to see where the market goes from here uh, to see if people like you do have interest in betting Georgia minus six and a half, minus seven, maybe even getting a better number. Uh, I think what, we're like 25 days out. Yeah, I mean, if this gets to six, I don't imagine it's going to stay at six for too long. But if it does get to minus six for Georgia, that would probably be a play for me. I just they, they're, they're a team that just gets business done. I mean, they might look bad in the first quarter, might look a little bad towards halftime. But whatever it is, they figure it out, they get it done, and they go and they cover against teams that are good. And, and I think Georgia has the talent and they have the coaching to get it done against an Ohio State team that I think for the first time in a long time, Nate, 
has an identity crisis. And this is a team that after the Michigan game, they really they were all talking about it. Ohio State fans were talking about it. Ohio State alums, JP was talking about it on the rally. He was saying Ohio State has to look themselves in the mirror and really figure out who they are. Michigan gave everyone else a playbook on how to beat them, and it's just be physical. Be as physical as you can against Ohio State. They may have the talent, but they're not going to match your physicality, and they're probably going to hurt them, honestly, if you're going to be physical with them. So they're going to have to figure out a way in a month to probably take on a Georgia team that knows they have to be physical with them, that has the bodies and the talent and the personnel to be physical with them. So with all that being said, if that line does get to minus six, I might have to jump on the Bulldogs. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I won't talk you out of that, I guess, completely. I just have a have a different opinion i think the number is just a little too big i might be a little biased too i don't i didn't want to see ohio state in the in the in the semifinals and uh they are so I, i'll fade them too yeah i know you're not alone on that i know a lot of people uh yeah didn't want to see uh yeah. a team that kind of has a weird weird ohio state team because going in the year they were like one of the you know big three teams yep. and i guess they disappointed like they just never seemed to like be that good i think a lot of it they had a pretty easy schedule and then in like the one game that they had circled for literally a year at home they didn't show up they for didn't it. uh they pl- they started off i think fine they just didn't really execute yep. and then they kept michigan around and michigan took advantage of some of their defensive deficiencies yeah you're just not used to seeing an ohio state team be out coached and i don't know if ryan day will, will be able to to get out coached by georgia but eh, we'll see it's possible we'll have to see all right, before we get to the NFL games, we have to be honorable. We have to be an honorable podcast and look back because the college football season is over. The regular season is over, at least. So we do have to look back at some of our preseason bets that we put on the win totals, that we put on predicting conference winners. This was from August 30th that we did it? Yeah, so back in July, we covered like each conference. We picked okay. a few teams, did like a buy or sell. And then we gave out some bets there, but then right before the college week one slate, we kind of just kind of recapped all our college and NFL bets that were available, the numbers at the time. So thought it'd be fun to go back and see what we got right and what we got wrong. And oh boy, there's some, uh, there's, <laughs> there's some, some bad there's ones. Some, but there's some good ones. There are, and uh, including some teams we just talked about. But then there's some some really bad ones, but. I think that's a good thing we can learn from these kind of things, especially yep. since college football, this kind of felt like the first normal year in a couple of years where there's no COVID and full schedules. So yeah. I think, you know, going forward, it's, we get to uh, learn a lot about what we did right and maybe some mistakes to avoid in the future. Hey, we're, we're sharp lessons. And the original idea was, you know, we want to we want to be able to help help people and teach people become better sports betters, even depending on if we're good or not, doesn't matter. We just want to teach people. And I think it's always good to go back and look at your bets and see what you got right and wrong to see how you can improve in the next season. And I will say, if we're starting with Indiana on the list here, you had the under four and a half. Mm-hmm. I had the over four. So I pushed, right. and you got the win at under four and a half. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to say I don't regret making that bet of over four. One, because it pushed, and I like the number. It's a <laughs> solid number. But two – they were just ended up being a disaster. So many injuries. They went through like three different quarterbacks. Offensive line was a mess. They should have won. They should honestly maybe be bowling with the way some of these games went and how they and how they just lost the lead. They lost games just in really stupid fashion. I don't regret that bet. Uh, I'll come over the top and say that they are lucky to even win two games this season because <laughs> wow. you look at the first game against U of I, their win Insulting. expectancy was like 30%. The refs kind of uh, – screwed over u of i hmm. honestly interesting the western kentucky game which 
I had a best bet that week on Western for Kentucky plus yeah. the points and literally watched every snap on a beautiful Saturday afternoon <laughs> while everyone could have been outside enjoying the last few warm days of the fall. Uh, but I was Indiana, Western, Western Kentucky. Kentucky and oh, Western rough. Kentucky's up like 17 in the fourth quarter. They blow that game. Yeah. And I then Michigan to. State, which was the game that got you the push and which made me sweat out the under four and a half with Love one it. game remaining. Yes. Michigan State, I think, missed a 26-yard field goal. Yeah. At the yeah, but buzzer, they missed a field goal too. Yeah, but it was in regulation. They missed a twenty-six yard field goal. That, like, they literally won the game. They were like taking knees to just kick a short field goal. <laughs> like, they, like Michigan State won the game. Like Indiana oh, lost. Man. And uh, yeah, so they somehow won four games with. Crazy. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of issues, and uh, you d- I did listen ba- though back to the podcast and your argument for Indiana. Uh, going over four, so you know, push on four. Yeah. Was their three first three games were very winnable, and they did win those three games. Yeah. And then their fourth win came in week twelve, I believe Stupid. it was. So dumb team. I guess you got that right. Um, in terms of they had to win those games. If they didn't, they were going to be in trouble. Uh, so that you know helped out a lot because the playing the Big Ten East, it's not very forgiving. Couple more Big Ten bets. You had uh, Ohio State to win the Big Ten, and yeah. unfortunately, didn't so, happen. I bet made that bet in July. They were minus two hundred to to win the Big Ten. I do regret, you know, maybe putting a lot of money to not win that much and tying up my money for four months. Yeah. At the same time, though, my my thought process was they were getting Michigan at home, and that game would decide the Big Ten East, and Ohio State would be more as a minus two hundred favorite in that game. And when they were up ten three early, they were like minus six hundred in live betting. And Michigan kind of rallies back. But I just thought they did it. Ohio State bring in Jim Knowles, a tough defensive coordinator, to get them ready for this Michigan game. Like Ohio State had this game circled on the calendar for yeah. literally a year, and I didn't think they would lose to Michigan in Columbus. And it actually looked like I thought Ohio State was going to run away with it until middle of second quarter when Michigan hit that big passing play. And then the idea was you take Ohio State at that number – and they're going to be a much bigger favorite than minus 200 in the Big Ten title game, which certainly would have been the case because Michigan was a 17-point favorite, I think, against Purdue, and Ohio State closed 9.5 at home against Michigan. So, I mean, it's one of those things I don't – I regret – I guess I regret betting a lot of money before the year on only something minus 200. But, I I mean, I thought that – you know they they probably should have won the Big Ten and all kudos to Michigan uh, for pulling off that game and having a good year of their own because I had a lot of questions about Michigan who we, we'll, we'll talk about in a second just because Jim Harbaugh was taking uh, NFL interviews yeah he was on National yeah, we Signing both, Day yeah we were kind of like ah how much and, is Michigan going to want to do this right like or how like are they how much are they going to drop off and how engaged is Harbaugh on this team so yeah. I think there was a lot of questions about Michigan going into the year but. Um, we'll just get right to it. You're, I had the over. Over nine and a half wins. Michigan over nine and a half. And I, I listened back to it. We talked a lot about the quarterback battle between J.J. McCarthy and the incumbent, I guess, Cade McNamara, who yeah. led him to a 12-0 season the year Future before. Iowa Hawkeye Cade and, McNamara. Uh, yeah, took him to the playoff. But we thought McCarthy would raise the ceiling. So like we thought, we thought basically Cade McNamara or whoever was quarterback between him and McCarthy could definitely get him to 10 wins or more. The question was, can Cade McNamara get him to the playoff, or will they go to J.J. McCarthy? And they ended up going to J.J. McCarthy because McNamara was hurt. Um, but a big reason why you liked Michigan, as you said, you, you liked the favorable schedule 
where the first three non-conference games were at home and very easy. And, uh, and the playoff committee noticed that because they weren't giving Michigan a lot of credit. Um, right. And then, you know, a, not a, you know, too bad of a Big Ten schedule. A lot of their tougher games at home in Penn State and Michigan State. And then they end up getting that 12th win in Columbus. But all he needed was 10 or more. And I got, it, got baby. that quite Love it. easily. I'm going to I'm gonna relish this win because coming up I have some really dumb losses. So I'll just relish that win for Michigan. Take the credit for that one. Uh, going through a couple more of these quickly. We got you had Miami oh, to win the well, ACC yeah. Coastal. Talk about bad. <laughs> Miami to win the AC Coastal. Oof. I also bet him over eight and a half. Um, did end up doing re- really well on win totals. I gave out in July. Yeah. Uh, but Miami to win the Coastal was something I still w- would have bet in August. I did bet in August. Um, part of it was being down on some ACC Coastal teams like Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Virginia. Part of it was liking Tyler Van Dyke, thinking the momentum of Mario Cristobal and his recruiting would Mario. be big in Miami and fans would show up to games and – I think they lost early in the year to Middle Tennessee and just kind of the uh, just disaster, rough. just a yeah, disastrous a season. season um, and we we, we talk about Miami. We were talking about how their game at A and M would be one of like the biggest non conference games of the season. And when that game actually happened, it was built up like that. But now looking back, neither team made a bowl game despite I think being nope. both top ten teams at some point this season, or at least A and M was. Miami was definitely ranked. So uh, just a horrible call and. Now Miami's going to probably suffer the consequences of not even going to a bowl game in a really down ACC. We'll see right now. I, I know like 10 players already hit the transfer portal I mean, for them. And they, yeah. Big, rec- bad big recruiting uh, class was supposed to come in. Let's see if they can keep that together. So it'll be interesting what happens to Miami, who I don't think we're expecting major success in year one, but enough success to kind of get the, the momentum going for a program that's invested a lot in their football team, hiring Cristobal and having all those donors dealing with the NIL stuff down there. The NC State stuff hurt. If we're talking about NC State, we we both yeah. had said over eight and a half wins, and then we said you know hold off until nine if it's going to get to nine. But we liked eight and a half. We we thought yeah. they could easily win. I thought they could win double digits with with what they had. Great quarterback, great coach. I said at the time, and you know what happens. Not that. Yeah. <laughs> they get well, eight wins on the season. They get the under by a half of a win, and they have quarterback issues. Quarterback gets hurt for the season. Say, some of these teams are rough when they, they played some of these games they should have won. It's just everything went wrong with NC State. Yeah, I think that's a little unlucky because Devin Larry got hurt. But I think the learning thing here is maybe not betting over on like those kind of middle-of-the-pack teams, teams that kind of – well, I don't. I didn't think it was going to be middle of the pack team. Well, like teams that like just like from a a big picture angle aren't like a, a premier college football team. Right. Like the teams that maybe two times every decade are going to have like kind of a spike year and exceed expectations. And NC State was good the year before. So when you're like expecting a team, maybe like kind of like the 2001 or 2021 Iowa State, who like usually kind of middle of the pack. And now they have this really good, yeah, they talented roster, and you're now asking them to win, go like do something that they're not used to doing. Right. So I think that was the case of NC State. But if Devin Leary stays healthy, they probably get they to nine wins. wins. Uh, I think they actually they. <laughs> I think the most painful part about that is we were actually sitting in an okay position mid-November, and they lose as almost three touchdown favorites at home to Boston College. That's what I knew. And over. then they had to win their last two games against Louisville and North Carolina. They lose to Louisville, and then, of course, they beat North Carolina. 
as a touchdown underdog in Chapel Hill. So that was kind of kind of sting knowing that we had a little bit of the right idea, but I think just like the thing going forward is maybe holding off on like kind of the attractive team who needs a win like nine or ten games. Like if it was NC State seven and a half, six and a half, you know, seven on the dot, it's a little bit of a different story. But when they have to win nine games for you not to lose the bet, then maybe that's uh, something to kind of consider going forward for future seasons. Uh, all right, our uh, our director over here, Zach Badgerhouse, is not going to like this next one, or he's actually going to love it because I bet USC under nine and a half wins. And uh, guess what happened? They did not get under nine and a half wins. Nope, eleven they and one for the Trojans. Season. Yeah, and and really carried by by Caleb Williams. Um, yeah, I I thought it was going to take a lot longer for them to really get adjusted, and they came out of the gate absolutely firing on all cylinders and tearing teams apart. Their bad defense wasn't an issue because their turnover margin was so good. So everything really came together well. well I don't know if they don't have that turnover margin. It wasn't an margin, issue until Friday night. Well, you're right. Yeah, then they forgot how to tackle. But before that, they got their over nine and a half wins. I thought, you know, the team that was playing on Friday night was more the team I was kind of expecting yeah. during the regular season. And we didn't see that. We saw a really good USC team with a Heisman Trophy probably winning quarterback and yep. they got over nine and a half wins no caleb williams is definitely going to win the heisman he clearly deserves it if there was like an mvp award in college football it would be him because usc had a lot of issues on defense yeah all season um we even said in the preview show that we don't think they're going to stop a lot of teams and just they wasn't didn't. sure wasn't sure how caleb williams would acclimate and we just never seen anything like this in college football we're like a whole new offense just of transfers who've never played each other mm-hmm. gets thrown in the fire and and usc their schedule was favorable in terms of regular season because you avoid oregon and washington in the pac-12 they had that oregon state game early in the year where usc is a plus four in turnover margin they come out and get the win there the UCLA game was one of the best games of the, the season where it was back and forth off so battle for L.A. with a spot on the Pac-12 title game yeah. on the line. But I, I was down on USC, but Utah, I did bet to win the Pac-12, although I did hedge a little bit out of that bet on Friday night because I thought USC would keep rolling. Uh, but Utah ended up winning the Look Pac-12, so – Happy about that. Um, also had a little bit of Utah over eight and a half wins. They got nine regular season wins. So kind of mixed results in the Pac-12 in terms of the top. Um, so, yeah, pr- pretty happy with, uh, you know, I-, I don't regret either bet, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't bet. regret betting USC under nine and a half because just the setup of them and the hype that was going in this season, I thought they were – overvalued i was wrong but i it's something i'm i'm not going to shy away from if another team kind of follows the mold of usc of just kind of relying on transfers who we were have a lot of question marks about i did get one pac-12 bet correct and it was oregon over eight and a half wins luckily the ducks came through for me and surprisingly and what really really sucks about this bet is i only bet oregon a couple times this season i think i won one of them the other bets that I made, for whatever reason, I trusted Bo Nix, and he could not come through for me for like the two or three. I, I think I bet Oregon three times this season, and I went one and two. So I won their season win total over, but the games that I bet them, they lost. Those were like their two or three losses on the season. So that was kind of unfortunate, but yeah. I, I did like the way Oregon showed up this season. And on the flip side, I bet the under on Tennessee on eight wins, and that looked really stupid now. 
So I, I get the over <laughs> with Oregon. I get the and I miss the under with Tennessee. But yeah. I mean, Hendon Hooker. Props to him, man. That that guy was an awesome quarterback this season, and it sucks that he had to get hurt towards the end of the year. But Horrible. he had that Tennessee offense. Him and Josh Heupel, it was just it was humming. It yeah. was it was a fun offense. Receivers upbeat. were receivers were great. They yeah. were scoring points. Their defense was playing well. They they easily got that over eight. Yeah. So on what you talk about Oregon, I think one thing I was worried about for them going in the year was they had that game against Georgia, and I was like, if, yep. they, if they lose a demoralizing I game, I don't game. think they're going to bounce back. Yep. Well, they end up losing by 46 points, but they did bounce back, which I think kind of gives credit to Dan Lanning, who was able to turn the team around and and get nine wins this season, and they probably should have won 10, and they would have been playing the Pac-12 title game. So kind of disappointed at the end, but at least they exceeded the uh, just got the it. win total, got that nine, and then Tennessee. I know it looks stupid now, but they got bet up from seven and a half to eight throughout the summer. And then you're asking, like, they have to win nine games for you to beat them or for um, them to beat you in yep. terms of betting. And they had Alabama and George on the schedule. And Alabama definitely disappointed in terms of, you know, what they have talent wise in terms of their on field production. And then Georgia beat Tennessee. And then if there's two more losses, then there's a push. So. I don't think it's a bad idea because Tennessee has one of those schedules in the SEC where they're going to play Alabama uh, every year from the SEC West, at least for now and, and next year. So, you know, I don't think uh, even though the result looks bad, I don't think it was a, a terrible uh, thought process just in terms of a schedule analysis. And yeah, then, they they overplayed what we thought they were going to do, and sometimes that happens. Then beating Alabama, no one, very few people predicted that. And then the last bets that – Worked out well. My correlated bets for the the uh, Big Twelve. Yes, Oklahoma I State. That one by accident. Oklahoma State under eight and a half wins. They yep. ended up finishing seven and five. Baylor under eight. I also said under seven and a half. Fine. They go six and six, losing the last three games of the season to the best teams in the Big Twelve. And then Kansas State was the one team I liked from the middle of the pack. It's a team we identified in July over their win total of six and a half. That got bet up to seven, seven and a half on the regular season win total. And actually that week when we were talking about Kansas State and I said I, I like them still at 12-1 to 1 to win the conference, we recorded it after Nebraska lost to Northwestern. And the thought was, hey, maybe yeah. Adrian Martinez wasn't the problem at Nebraska. Maybe he's going to do well at Kansas State. He definitely had his moments at Kansas State. And I, and I listened back, and Ben, you were high on their offense, and, which ended up being really good. Mm-hmm. But it ended up being Will Howard who yeah. kind of got them there in some of the bigger games of the season after Martinez got hurt. And Will Howard played on Kansas State last year and wasn't very good. So the fact that he was able to improve and then the offense just kind of suited him with Deuce Vaughn, I guess, in the backfield uh, helping him out. They go on beating TCU in the Big 12 title game. So Kansas State, awesome win. Uh, Very proud of that call. And then the other calls with the under on Oklahoma State and the under on Baylor, which – Towards the end, maybe got a little bit nerve-wracking with their games, but they went well under their regular season totals. You were uh, you were Mr. Big Twelve this year, yeah, Mr. Big Twelve. Big you really 12. you really got that conference <laughs> down, ACC, man. ACC, not so much. Yeah, you NC know sometimes State, one conference works. Miami, one I was all over the under on Georgia Tech. Not really sure how they won four games after they fired <laughs> Jeff Collins, but yeah, right. They, they beat Pitt and they beat. Uh, and oh, North Carolina, yeah, man, the ACC is just ACC was rough this year, hundred percent rough. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet, crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships. 
the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's go to the NFL, though, Nate. We've got some NFL games for this weekend that we wanted to look at because there's been a little bit of line movement going on early on in the week, and we do these Tuesday shows so we can get ahead of some of the later line movement that happens on Friday and Saturday and Sunday morning. So we have a few games we wanted to look at. We'll start with the uh, NFC North Alliance. Went from an underdog of three points to a two-and-a-half-point favorite against the Vikings. A really interesting line movement here, Nate. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. I got a few random texts yesterday Mm -hmm. in all explanation points. Why are the Vikings underdogs against the Lions? Yep, It's the 10-2 and Vikings going to the 5-7 and Lions. And the Lions actually got bet out this morning from minus one to minus two-and-a-half. So more money. Action is continuing on the Lions. I think if it gets to plus three, then there'll be buyback on the Vikings. But I, I, I get this line move, honestly. If you just kind of look at the statistics of both teams and some of the recent results, this line actually makes a little bit of sense. Last week, the Vikings get outgained by 199 yards to the Jets. The Jets reach the red zone in all six of their second-half drives, only find the end zone one, settling for three field goals and then at the end, turnover, and then turnover on down. So Vikings just have been so fortunate this year in seemingly every game, and their two losses, they've gotten blown out. So the Vikings, even though they have won 10 of their 12 games, their point differential is you know it's just so just positive. So yeah. they're basically a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five team, and if they had one of those records playing the 5-7 and seven Lions, this line would make a lot of sense to everyone. So this isn't like a trap game. This is what you know. people think about both teams, and maybe people are a little too low on the Vikings, and the, their kind of perception or their statistics are being built into this number. But I think it's a pretty good spot for the Lions in terms of their third straight home game, a game they need because now they've kind of probably talked themselves into the playoffs, yeah. being a playoff team at 5-7. and seven. So I do get the line move. I guess my, my thing is I, if the Vikings got to plus three, I'd consider betting them. But because I feel like at some point the luck is going to run out with Minnesota, I'd stay away from betting them unless they got to plus three. Uh, let's do the Steelers and the Ravens. The Steelers have gone from, again, another underdog of four and a half points to the favorite of two and a half points over the Ravens. Makes sense. Lamar Jackson's going to be yep. out. Tyler Huntley's going to be starting for the Ravens. And the Steelers, honestly, they look good. They, they played a complete game on Sunday. They really did look good against the Falcons. Their offense was acceptable. Kenny Pickett looked pretty solid through parts of the game. Their defense played really well. So the Steelers are kind of coming together later on in the season to, to becoming a pretty decent team, and now they're facing a Ravens team. A lot of question marks offensively. They're not going to have their starting quarterback, uh, and they barely, barely escaped with the win on Sunday. Yeah, That's definitely. a bad Broncos team. Yeah, so I think there's a little bit of a downgrade in terms of the, the Ravens, yep. and then an upgrade for the Steelers, who are clearly on the upswing now that they've been playing an easier schedule. Yep. Kenny Pickett was kind of thrown in in a tough spot because he had to play a lot of good opponents, especially on the road. But now when you have to play like the Colts and the Falcons and the Saints, things get a little bit easier for Pittsburgh. So I've, we've seen some improvement from their offense and on their defense with T.J. Watt. But obviously the biggest reason the line move is the downgrade from Lamar Jackson to Tyler Huntley. Although Huntley does have starting experience from last year, they are a similar style quarterback. So when Lamar gets hurt, 
and Tyler Huntley comes in, they don't have to change too much for their offense in terms of scheming. So I actually took a little bit Ravens plus three this morning just because there's a game with a low total of 37. It is very I just low. think it's very unlikely that the Steelers win big, and I like that, or win by four or more. And Tyler Huntley does have that experience where I'm not afraid to uh, go for uh, back him in this situation, especially since the line is adjust, adjusted. And also the Ravens, you know, I think they're going to kind of rally around Tyler Huntley in this situation and play uh, pretty well on defense in this game. He, with a low total. I mean, he led a game-winning drive against the Broncos, yeah. and, and he looked pretty decent doing it. I do like whoever's the underdog in this game is is just the team I would take, especially with that yeah. 37 is a low total. It's going to be a scrappy game. It's going to be low scoring. It's going to be slow-paced. So, I, you know, I think that favors an underdog team. And the Steelers, like I said, have been playing well. They've been playing really good football. But I don't know if I trust them at, you know, a three-point favorite uh, against the Ravens team that – I think still has some some fight in them, and like you said, they're going to be rallying around their backup quarterback. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, no, that's another thing. Like Raven Steelers game, anytime you can get the underdog at three points or more, it's it. just like historically. I know that's you know trend trendy, and you know teams change year over year, but whenever these two teams, it, it usually comes down to the wire. Uh, let's talk Bengals and Browns. Bengals have moved from three and a half point favorites to minus six. Against the Browns. Makes sense. I mean, the Bengals are the hot team now. They beat the Chiefs, mm-hmm. beat the Chiefs three times in a calendar year. They're looking good. They're looking healthy. Joe Burrow's looking back to Super Bowl form. And then you have the Browns. Deshaun Watson with his second game back. He didn't look good at all against the Texans. He looked like a guy who hadn't played football in, what was it, over 700 days or something like that. So I get the line movement with this one, but it seems like you feel like it's too much. Yeah, I actually like the Browns quite a bit this week at plus six or better. Uh, the Browns, you know, they won last week in Houston, but it was pretty fortunate getting three special teams and defensive touchdowns, and, and Watson looked horrible. And I think part of it, kind of the new system he's in with new players and also the pressure playing with Houston, I'm sure mentally was a, a pretty tough spot for him. I th- I'm hoping that, you know, second start, it's a little bit better, but I think that all this, you know, him struggling and the potential rust is all being built in this number. On the other side, Bengals coming off a huge win against the Chiefs, a game that a team that they beat twice last year. So I'm sure they were uh, excited to. I mean, play that's that a game, game that was circled on their calendar oh. all all season long. No, absolutely, but it was at the same time it was a game they trail by seven going to the fourth quarter. Chiefs have a crucial turnover and then some game mismanagement at the end, and the Bengals ended up pulling that game out. So I think that win kind of inflates the number into the Bengals' direction, coupled with the Browns not looking good in Houston, especially with Watson. So if you look at this matchup, Kevin Stefanski hasn't lost to Zach Taylor. Browns beat the Bengals pretty handily this season on a Monday night in Cleveland. So Browns plus six, definitely a game I have a lot of interest in. And uh, one where if it does – I see the number trending towards five and a half. I'll, I'll bet the Browns as soon as I can at plus six. But until then, I'll probably wait to see if this maybe even ticks up a little bit higher if there's a lot of uh, public disinterest in Deshaun Watson, which I'm sure there is, and then a lot of interest in the Bengals, who you mentioned are kind of the hot team right now. Let's talk Bucks 49ers quickly. Six and a half to three and a half for the Bucks Makes sense. They look good. Tom Brady leaving the leading the last minute. Well, touchdown. Who looked, good? who looked good? Tom Brady and the Bucks at, the, at mean, the end of that game. For... Then that's what people are going to remember. They're going to remember yeah, Tom Brady. Three, the, two touchdowns in the last point. three minutes of the game. And then they also see that Jimmy G is going to be out for the 49ers. 
I like the way Brock Purdy looked. I really did. I, I think there he's going to be a serviceable backup for the 49ers. And they, they come against a Bucks team that – and I'm with you here. Like, I'm with you. I don't think they look good for a majority of this game. Tom Brady somehow getting two touchdowns in the last couple minutes of that game against whatever the Saints were trying to do defensively was gross. But I really like that this line movement is towards the Bucks. Because I might bet the 49ers in this one at minus three and a half. And I don't love the extra hook, but I think this is still a team that it's certainly a step down from Jimmy G. But Brock Purdy looked serviceable, and that defense is unbelievable. And I really want to see this Bucks team face a defense that good for the 49ers and succeed like they did against the Saints because it's not going to happen. Yeah, I think the odds for this game kind of show how good the 49ers roster and coaching is outside of the quarterback position. Yep. where Jimmy G gets hurt. Now you have Mr. Relevant, Brock Purdy, a seventh-round rookie. A legend. But when you look at what Kyle Shanahan has done with some other inexperienced quarterbacks, it's a lot of you know just kind of following the scheme, throwing to your playmakers, getting into their hands, like Debo Samuel and now Christian McCaffrey and letting them go to work. And, and on def- defense, 49ers have a really good defense. They they finally gave up a, a second half touchdown for the first time in four games. <laughs> That's insane against the Dolphins. Nick Bosa is stupid good. D'Amico Ryan's has has done a fantastic job with a, a really talented front yeah. seven and and kind of making sure that uh, the secondary that might have a little bit of weaknesses don't look so bad. So with the Bucks, kind of got lucky Monday night. Got very lucky actually. The Saints really mismanaged the game. And Mark Ingram did not get a first down for some reason. That was weird. Uh, so I, I just think it's kind of a, a telling line that the 49ers are are still a really good team. I'm not sure if they're a Super Bowl team anymore. Probably not. Um, I think they can still make the NFC title game if they uh, end up playing like the Vikings in the divisional round and avoid the Eagles and Cowboys because now the Eagles and Cowboys definitely are the, the best teams in the NFC, uh, better than the Niners with Brock Purdy. But in this game – uh, just thought it was interesting that this line is, is just above a field goal because I think a lot of people would just kind of think, oh, Tom Brady getting over a field goal against Brock Purdy yeah, would be intriguing. But, yeah. uh, and then my, the other thing is, so I bet the Niners before the season win the NFC Nor- us West, pardon me, uh, NFC West at plus 180. Right now I could take Seattle at plus 350 to win the NFC West. It's kind of debate in this game. Like, Do I still think the Niners are going to win? Because next week, the Niners travel on a short week, Thursday night, to Seattle. Seahawks have the Panthers at home this week. So have to make a decision in the next few days about what I want to do with my 49ers NFC West bet. I still think they have a shot to win. I still think they can win this week. I still think they can win in Seattle just because they could hide Purdy and just hand the ball off to McCaffrey or whoever else at running back, Debo Samuel. So I have a lot of debates to uh, have about this game. Probably won't have a bet on it because of what I have on the Niners to win the division, but just something um, I've been thinking about, and maybe we'll touch more on that on Thursday's show. Let's talk about the Jaguars real fast. Talk it out. What do you like about the Jaguars? Yeah, I just don't think the Titans should be favorite against you know an average NFL team by more than a field goal. Uh, the Titans is a team that is an underdog. We always like to uh, – to look at Mike Rabel does very well in that underdog role didn't work last week but Traylon Burks gets hurt early and 
I think that uh, when he's gone, uh, that Tennessee offense is, becomes really predictable. So I think the Jaguars, they did have a, a bad performance last week in Detroit, but I can see them bouncing back knowing that if they win that game, they still have another game against the Titans later in the year. Maybe the Titans drop a few games and the, and the division isn't out of the question. So Jaguars, I think they even got to plus four somewhere. Going to uh, take a look at them at three and a half or better. Thursday night football, Raiders at the Rams. The Raiders are minus six. That totals at 44 and a half. And I'm upset about this, Nate, because I have said for the past couple of weeks I'm anti-Raiders. I'm always going to fade the Raiders because they've looked terrible. And they have proved me wrong in the past two weeks. I'm not super happy about that. Whatever Josh McDaniels has been doing over there in Vegas has been working recently. They've actually looked like a serviceable good team and they had a really bad start against the chargers down 10 nothing you could have counted them out really easily fought their way back josh jacobs with a monster game and they go on to win that game by a touchdown so i don't really know how to feel about the raiders right now to be quite honest the rams they're probably not gonna have matt stafford yeah he's on ir i don't know if i like them as a six point underdog that raiders defense still seems like it's exploitable it's a mid-range total at 44.5. The Rams are playing at home. It's a weird line to me. I really, again, and I know the Raiders have been playing well, I don't know if I could take Las Vegas as a six-point favorite. Yeah, I know the Raiders' defense isn't good, but I'm not sure if John Wolford is the guy who's going to exploit that defense. You might be with, right. You know, without Cooper Cup and the offensive line has just been banged up all year. Yep. And it is a Rams home game. However... Whenever the Raiders play at the Chargers, all the old L.A. Raiders fans show up to the game. So this is almost like a a second – basically a second home field for the Raiders who make the annual uh, trip to SoFi when the Chargers come to – or the Raiders play the Chargers, and now they're playing the Rams. So a bonus trip for those fans who live in the Southern California area. So it's going to be mostly Raiders fans. So I'd actually say the home field advantage in this game is, is zero. So because of that, I can you know I think this line makes sense at six. I think for what the Raiders are, they're an average team that lost every close game early in the year. Yep. Now they're winning some close games, the close games they were winning last year. So I think they're just kind of an average team, and they're going to win a lot of the or be part of these a lot of these coin flip games. So don't really have interest laying six with them in a, in a big number against the Rams team, where obviously it's a lost season, but a lot of the players on the team are still competing and, and trying to fight for their NFL futures because every play is on tape. So it's definitely a stay away game for me, but should be an interesting crowd in L.A. with uh, yeah mostly Raiders fans for this one. Yeah, I um I think if I'm leaning anyway, I would probably take the Rams at plus six, to be honest, now that it's up there. And I'm leaning a little bit yeah. towards the over, but I, again, 44.5 is such a middle-range number that I don't know if I feel strongly one way or the other, but the Raiders' defense isn't great. I know the Rams offense isn't super awesome, but the Raiders can score, and, and the Rams have shown that they could score a little bit. They scored 23 against the Seahawks. I would lean towards the over, but if I'm yeah. going to make any bet in this game, it's going to be Rams plus six. Yeah, my only worry, I guess, with the, or other worry, there's many worries with this Rams it's, team. It's, uh, it's a bad team. Um, but that Seahawks game kind of felt like they're all in effort. Like, a little bit. To, like spoil it for division opponent. Now quick turnaround, short week after a, a last-minute loss. Not sure how motivated they're going to be in yeah. this game. Yeah, I mean the Rams have the moment, or the, excuse me, the Raiders have the momentum. They have the, they just seem like they're juice. They seem like they know that they actually are a decent football team now, or at least they've improved since the season started. Yeah, and that's a tough team to beat, especially in a short week when you're coming off a loss. So, now it's the, a it's a it's a good number on both sides of the ball. Yep, 
Definitely. It really is. All right, so that's our Thursday night look ahead. Uh, we will have all our picks on Thursday for the podcast, for maybe for this game, but certainly for the NFL games over the weekend. We'll have some NBA picks as well, maybe college basketball too, now that we're getting into college basketball season and there's uh, less football. But, of course, we're going to have to give the under for the Army-Navy game, so that's coming up on Thursday <laughs> as well. <laughs> Always do the under for that one. Thanks for reminding me. But until then, good luck on your bets, everyone, and we'll uh, see you Thursday. Thursday.